0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about what does financial advice cost, Uh, which is obviously a subject as a financial advisor that's near and dear to my heart. Um, Obviously, uh, price is what you pay, but value is what you receive. And uh, my argument would be that you should be interested or equally interested in both those factors. So how much do you need to pay, but what are you going to get in return? Obviously, the value needs to exceed the cost for it to be worthwhile. And so how do you assess the value of financial advice? Uh, And whilst answering this question is going to vary significantly depending on your circumstances and, uh, and obviously value assessments are highly subjective, I really wanted to take the opportunity to talk about some of the components of the the assessment from a financial advisor's perspective um, that might help you, particularly if you're in a situation contemplating uh, getting financial advice. That might help you with that kind of value assessment. I guess my first uh, observation is that there is a tension that fees create. Uh, because on one hand the lower the fee you pay the more money you have left over to invest and if you do that well uh, then the more the higher the likelihood you will be able to successfully achieve your financial and lifestyle goals but on the other hand uh, you kind of get what you pay for in most things in life so the cheapest financial advice isn't necessarily always the best And in fact, your willingness to pay more for financial advice could also get more valuable financial advice. So a couple of points in regards to that is that firstly, someone with significant amount of experience, a couple of decades of experience and a successful investor themselves, such as myself, I'm not going to work for $20 an hour. I mean, my time is more valuable than that. Uh, and I'm not going to trade my, my time for $20 an hour. So if you want the advice from someone that has a, a, a large amount of experience, you're probably going to have to pay a higher price. My second comment would be uh, the higher the fee, the more time you have to spend on a client. Um, and the more thinking time you have, the more analysis you can do and so forth. Whereas if your profit margins are very thin, you can you can't afford to be that generous or as generous with your time. There's inevitable pressure to sort of cut corners, limit time, and there's certainly no scope for for uh, offering proactive advice. You know, finding the time and space to really sit down and think carefully about your clients uh, and consider what opportunities they have. Uh, and then thirdly, the the greater the uh, quantity of Human and economic resources a firm has, the more they can invest in their people and systems to continually improve the value that they provide. Uh, So they should be reinvesting monies and resources in uh, better research, more analysis, more training, and more time just really thinking about the issues at hand. And so the truth is, because of this tension, we must find a balance. Uh, so when I say we, it's really you must find a balance, of course, that you need to um, pay as low a fee as possible, but not too low that it risks undervaluing the advice or cutting the value of advice. Perhaps it might help if I really talk about the, what it costs to deliver financial advice, because certainly over the last uh, few years, the cost of running a financial advice business has increased considerably. And really, I can probably categorise costs into into four categories, four separate categories. The the, the categories are staffing, compliance and risk, uh, overheads and profit. And let me just talk about um, each of those. So staffing's are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, you know, an advisor, uh, if it's a business that needs to employ an advisor, if the advisor runs and owns the business like I do, uh, then you, you still have to, um, in your fee levels, take into account what is a market level of remuneration. Uh, and then you need support staff naturally, people that are help you with your researching, help you with your analysis, uh, people that can... There's a, a, a significant amount of administration and compliance involved in running an advice business. Uh, so for every uh, one advisor, it's typically going to have two or more administrative staff um, behind them helping them. And of course, the the more experience the advisor has, the the higher the level of remuneration, and that increases the cost of delivering that advice. The second uh, element or category of cost is uh, compliance and risk. So there's a number of costs associated with holding your own Australian Financial Services licence, which you need in order to provide advice. Uh, and if you are self-licensed, it gives you uh, certainly greater latitude on the scope of advice you can provide and, and the way in which you want to provide it, uh, and it ensures your independence as well. Um, but there's things like fees that you need to pay to ASIC, um, ridiculous professional indemnity insurance costs, you know, the cost of which rivals some of the riskiest medical occupations, which is, uh, is pretty strange. Uh, but there's a number of audit, uh, audit costs and uh, education, training and other sort of license fees. Uh, the second element to compliance and risk is the risk. You know, a, an advisory accepts a huge amount of responsibility for formulating advice. You know, on vi- advice on simple matters, of course, is a lot less risky. However, um, advice that involves large sums of money or complexity carry high levels of risk. Uh, because even small errors or misjudgments can have a significant financial consequence, particularly in terms of dollar value impact. Uh, so you know, higher engagements tend to attract higher levels of advisor compensation. The third element is overheads. Like any business, it has office occupancy, technology and software costs and so forth uh, that are inherent in any business and easy to, uh, to kind of gloss over. Um, but they're there. And then lastly, it's profit. Any sustainable business must make a profit, you know, and the profit needs to be sufficient enough to compensate the owners of the business for the business risk and provide a reasonable return on capital. Uh, Profit isn't the reason why I go to work, but it's a necessary consequence. I can't run a business at a loss. That is not a sustainable proposition. And ultimately, uh, in order to serve my clients, I need to have a sustainable business. So really, there's staffing, compliance, and risk overheads, and then profit. Uh, if you start thinking about those costs, you can start to really assess or, or get a le- uh, an idea of you know the cost of delivering advice. Uh, uh, some industry consultants have you know estimated uh, costs, and I have some links in the show notes. Naturally. Um, uh, one recent article put uh, $3,500 as kind of the average or minimum fee that an advisor needs to charge. Uh, other people are saying that it costs around $6,500 to deliver a statement of advice. Uh, I would say that our sort of compliance risk and overhead cost per client is about $2,000 a year. So that's that's a cost that needs to be met before we even do one bit of work and it shows the whole overhead and that sort of compliance element of costs um, are significant in terms of what are average fees that's really difficult because it depends on you know the 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 fee structure and the advisor and the client and the complexity and so forth but there's a very very broad range I would say most advisors charge between three and twenty thousand dollars per year of course, if you're paying $20,000, there's got to be a lot of money involved or a lot of complexity, uh, And but $3,000 uh, might seem uh, like a big fee for someone that doesn't have that much complexity, um, uh, but it but the problem with it is that there's a, a base level that you kind of need to get past. Uh, there needs to be enough scope. Uh, for an advisor to add value to your situation. And this is one of the key things that we really look at. I look at very closely when contemplating taking on a new client. So if there's not enough scope to add value, then it's going to be really difficult to offset the fees. You know, someone who's got a very simplistic situation or they just need a little bit of once-off advice, there's just not enough value proposition, not not a big enough value proposition to say, hey, you've got to pay me $3,000 a year. So, I mean, consider someone with a $200,000 share portfolio. You know, two dollars it's not a small amount of money. But uh, just to even, as a, as a reasonable proposition, I've got to charge potentially $3,000 per year to, to look after that portfolio. That fee equates to 1.5%. Now, there's some really cheap diversified index funds uh, out there that give you, you know, that, that manage the asset allocation, give you diversified exposure, Am I going to uh, outperform uh, those alternatives by one and a half percent per annum? I would say no. I, I, in that circumstance, if someone, if one of my family members came to me and said, "I've got a two hundred thousand dollars fit share portfolio, should I pay my advisor three grand?" I would say no, and I wouldn't take on that client because there is just not enough scope to add value. So that's one of the problems really with the financial advice industry at this stage. That one of the things they're really uh, Grappling with uh, is how do we deliver advice um, and reduce the cost to be able to do that? Uh, Because someone with a two hundred thousand dollar share portfolio might need help. You know, they might need maybe not a lot of help, but some help. And and how do you do that in a way that's um, sustainable? That's going to reward the advisor as well um, for their time, energy, and and risk and so forth. Uh, So how do you value the advice? And and probably talks to you know, how do you know if there's enough scope for uh, someone to add value? So I think there's probably four sources of value in an advisor relationship. I mean, there could be more, and it, of course it's very subjective and it depends on individual circumstances. But the four that I'd like to talk about is firstly, uh, formulating a long-term strategy, then the correct implementation of that strategy, Third is navigating the uh, inevitable challenges and opportunities that occur over time. And lastly, it's really about the confidence and freedom and and the ability to share the responsibility of making decisions. They're kind of the four categories of value, I think. So the first one is formulating a long-term plan. I think few people have the requisite knowledge and experience to develop a holistic, long-term financial strategy. You know, strategies must consider many, many factors such as cash flow, risk, uh, asset allocation, level of borrowings, including how to eventually repay the borrowings, how to super integrate with the financial plan, how do we save tax, what about estate planning considerations, and then finally risk management. Easy to build wealth, but you need to be able to retain the wealth as well. And so having a clear and simple, easy to understand strategy that outlines and addresses all those concerns and sets out A, B, C, what you need to do over the next 10 years in order to hit your goals in 15 or 20 years' time, I think there's a significant amount of value created by developing such a strategy. So that's the first point. The second point is then correct implementation of the plan. A plan is worthless unless it's implemented correctly. You can take the best laid plan and and mess up the implementation and you've ruined all the potential value that's there. So, you know, you need to know... Which methodologies to use when, when to invest more, when to not invest at all, what tactical changes to make over time, uh, which advisors such as buyer's agents and so forth trust, um, all these sorts of things. You can uh, Even one mistake can end up costing you $50,000, for example, just in incorrect implementation of a strategy. So I think there's a considerable amount of value in that as well. The third element is navigating the inevitable changes. So there's going to be changes in markets, in situations, things like pandemics, changes in uh, products and if investment opportunities, uh, changes in um, taxation and super laws and these sorts of things, and then obviously changes in your goals and your uh, personal situation. And not all of those uh, changes are going to necessitate a change in your strategy, or even a tinkering with the strategy, Some, sometimes we do nothing and we, we keep uh, progressing on the same path. But other times, those changes do create risks and opportunities that need to be navigated. And so having the ability to lean into someone that understands your situation, understands your goals, has a record experience to sort of kick around the ideas about what, what potential outcomes, is there anything I need to be doing as a result of this change, uh, that can be incredibly valuable and uh, spotting an opportunity or jumping on opportunity or deciding when to invest or when not to invest, again, can have a massive compounding impact from a wealth perspective. And lastly, one of the things that my clients often uh, share with me is that they feel relieved about sharing the responsibility for making financial decisions for their family. So they realise that some of the responsibility um, no longer, at least, all the responsibility no longer rests on their shoulders, and they can share some of that burdensome obligation. The ability to um, to to outsource some of that, to to get counsel to um, to make sure you've got you know a, a professional that's saying yes, that's the right thing to do, you're on the right track, um, really d- reduces some of the stress associated with it. So there, sort of, the four categories, I guess, of where value could arise. Um, And it depends, obviously, on what you value, of course. Uh, And then also your um, financial situation, your plan and your circumstances will dictate uh, which one of those categories or, in fact, all four of those categories are are going to be valuable for you. The interesting thing is that most advisors don't offer once-off advice. You know, once-off piecemeal advice on a specific issue Uh, Such as, you know, I'm wondering how to structure my self-managed super fund portfolio. Just give me a document that outlines that and uh, send me on my way, for example. Uh, Most uh, advisors really aren't interested in that work and we rarely do it, um, particularly if they're not an existing client of of our business. Um, Providing one off advice is often unrewarding both professionally and commercially. Commercially, I should say, you know, there's a substantial amount of work, kind of emotional labor, if you like, in building trust and building a relationship with a client, getting to know them, their goals, their risk profile and so on. To do all that work just to fulfill compliance obligations without any expectation of being around in the future to not only be held accountable for the results, but really get to witness that how things turn out is relatively unrewarding. In fact, I don't really like it. You know, if I give someone some advice and it's great advice, I'd like to be around in 10 years time, not to take credit, of course, but to know, hey, you know, the work that I'm doing is actually making a positive difference. Um, Whereas the thing that's the benefit of working with clients on an ongoing basis, you have a shared goal. You know, my goal is to help my clients achieve their goals because ultimately that's what gives me a, a great sense of satisfaction. Um, and, uh, but I need to be able to build that relationship with a client in order to, to know that, firstly, I've helped them, I've guided them along the way, and I've had clients for you know, 15, nearly 18 years now uh, where I've been able to do that, and it's incredibly rewarding. That's what really makes me get out of bed and come to work uh, every day, and I wouldn't do it if I couldn't really, um, uh, I guess, share that experience with clients over time. So most advisors, therefore, are targeted, and certainly we do in our business, we're really targeted to dealing with clients on an ongoing basis. Now, the downside to that is if you need some once-off advice, it can be a little bit difficult to, um, to provide it. Uh, at the moment, the, uh, and we certainly saw in the Royal Commission that advice laws have done very little to save people from dodgy financial advisors. So all the compliance obligations and all the stuff that's been going on for the last 20 years have really done very little to protect clients. Uh, and all the government's been doing is just adding additional layers of compliance, cost and complexity uh, on top of uh, the next layer. Uh, and really, um, it's, it's uh, not done any benefit to the industry as a whole uh, and to consumers, obviously. Uh, so at the, uh, at the moment, the government's really look, ASIC is really looking at how do they reduce the cost of, uh, delivering advice. For example, I would like to be able to sit with a client and if, if, if the client needs a particular bit of advice or this is where my super's at, oh, well, you should just go to Australian super, for example. I don't want to have to sit down and, and produce a 30 page document to do that. If I've got no vested interest in the outcome, if I know what the answer is, Surely, I, I'm not going to do it for free, but surely I should be able to share that advice. And at least I can do it in a way that's going to be palatable from a cost perspective for the client, uh, and I'm not going to get bogged down in a whole bunch of documentation and compliance work. So, the advice laws definitely need to be rewritten and changed, particularly now. That commissions have been banned, so there's no longer investment commissions, uh, and uh, so a lot of the, the laws and the compliance regulations are now kind of redundant. So, what do you do if you're in the situation where it's uneconomical for you to engage an advisor on an ongoing basis? And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people um, that kind of fall into this category. So, if you can't justify paying three thousand dollars or more per annum, what are your what are your alternatives? Well, there's a few things that you can do. Of course, you can educate yourself and there's uh, certainly an abundance of uh, free information that's available on blogs and podcasts and so forth, uh, exactly like this one. Of course, books. You know, someone that sits down and, and writes fifty to 60,000 words in, in a book uh, shares a, a tremendous wealth of knowledge doing so and there's a tremendous amount of value in that. Uh, only for, for $30, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Some industry super funds have their own financial advice teams that offer fee-for-service financial advice, and that can sometimes be a really economical way of getting independent financial advice, particularly if it's in relation to super. Uh, Of course, they aren't necessarily independent. Uh, If you go to Australian Super, an advisor that's employed by Australian Super, and say, "Where where do I put my super? I'd imagine the answer is going to be Australian Super, but they are still uh, independent in that they don't have a vested interest, a personal vested interest. Uh, and uh, uh, Vanguard's website, for example, has a, has a plethora of information um, that's worth looking at and often written in a way or presented in a way that's very easy to understand. I've got a link in the show notes. So certainly that's a great resource as well. Uh, hopefully, as I said, that uh, advice laws are changed and they do open up, uh, you know, do open up the, the, um, the ability for experienced advisors to be able to sit with a potential client and give them some verbal advice without necessarily needing to prepare pages of, of documentation. That's what really needs to happen. I think compliance uh, should aid the advising advice process, not uh, hamper it. Uh, so there you go, that's uh, a little bit about financial advice in that what is the cost, how much does it cost, uh, what, are, what are advisors, why are advisors keener to work with clients ongoing rather than once off advice, uh, how do you assess the value of a, advice because obviously there needs to be enough scope for the advisor to add value and then secondly you need to choose the right advisor and lastly, of course, the perceived value of that advice and the actual value, actual measurable value over, over the long run, needs to far exceed the cost of providing that advice or getting that advice. But hopefully this commentary has, uh, has given you some sort of insight or assistance in able to assessing advice and understanding what it costs and when it's appropriate and when it's not Of course, uh, there's more information in the blog on the website and in the show notes. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, please do share and uh, please give it a a positive rating uh, either on Apple or wherever you consume your podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate it. And that's it for me this week. A bit of a longer one this, this week, so I apologize for that. But until next week, bye for now.